America outperforming Europe on coronavirus. Sweden is the media's next target. What actually counts as a death? And honouring a real-life hero. Man stands with America. This is Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn on the Blaze Radio Network. Good morning, my quarantine inmates. Are you bored yet? Are you bored yet? Do y'all remember that movie Shrek, where uh, they're on the uh, they're on the ride to the kingdom and like Shrek, our donkeys in the back going, "Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? No." Are we there yet? No. Are we there yet? Stop asking. That's the way I feel about this quarantine. I don't know about how y'all are doing, but I'm getting bored and I've been sick for a while. Um, I'm sick of the house. So welcome to the show. This, of course, is the show where you uh, come for the accent and, of course, the, the random movie analogies and you stay for the principles. I have a show for you today that I want you to to listen to and maybe at some part of this show... You're going to have to take a breather and press stop and come back to it later because I'm going to give you a good few stats and numbers today because I want to make the case for something that I think you're about to see in the media and especially in the media if you listen around Europe because I think two countries are about to come under a lot of attack because of coronavirus and I don't want to particularly talk to you about the virus. I just want to talk to you about the numbers and be prepared for what I think is about to come. But I want to start this by talking to you about an analogy. Because I'm a numbers guy. I've always made no secret about this. I love stats. I love numbers. And the reason I love numbers, for many reasons, is is because numbers don't lie. Statistics don't lie. The numbers are there for everyone to see. And they don't change. They don't have a political agenda. They don't have a bias. The numbers don't love Donald Trump. And they don't hate Donald Trump. They're just there. They're stats. They're facts. They don't change. The same way they didn't change for Barack Obama, they don't change for Boris Johnson or Angela Merkel. The stats are there. What does change, though, is the way we interpret those stats. And also, what we have as a personal opinion on what we think is more important. And that is where our bias comes in. The bias is in us, not the stats, not the numbers. And I want to give you an analogy. And I want to give you an analogy based on sports. Because if we lived in a normal world right now, a lot of you, including myself, would be watching baseball. Go Yankees. That's where everyone switches off. Oh, I'm not going to talk about the Yankees. Don't worry. But I want to give you an analogy based on baseball. Let's say a pitcher, let's say baseball started on, you know, the end of March as it's supposed to do. And today's, um, today's the 2nd of May, if you're listening on Saturday. And a pitcher makes his season debut on the 2nd of, of May. He's been out injured. He had a you know back injury, whatever. You can fill in the blanks yourself. And he goes out in his first inning because he's rusty and you know he hasn't pitched in you know all season. He goes out in the first inning, and gives up a, a home run. And his first inning, he gives up one run. Now, if we looked at the stats of that guy, his ERA would be nine. But is that the true reflection of him? Because what you're having now 
is all these honest discussions about where that pitcher is right now. His ERA is nine, but he has another three, four, five, maybe six or seven innings at the pitch. We don't know what the, the future outcome is going to be. His ERA could be nine at the end of the game. Or if he pitches a complete game, which I know is unlikely because he's just come back from injury, but he, if he did, he'd have an ERA of one. There's a lot of in undecideds. Likewise, let me give you another example of why stats are so critical. You know, baseball right now is going through this phase, which, it, you know, evolves and changes with different periods of time. But right now we're going through this phase again of strikeouts. We're just going massive amount of strikeouts, record amount of strikeouts in, in numbers. But we'll all base our decisions based on what our pitchers do. If, let's say, your pitcher has a lot of strikeouts, actually numbers. Well, you know, he has 100 strikeouts already. Wow, well, he's clearly better than someone else. But let's say you have someone who has, let's say, 75, and you want to compare that. You can't compare 100 to 75. So what you do is you go, well, I have more strikeouts per nine innings. And then it becomes the decision, well, which do you prefer? Do you prefer the, the pitcher has, you know, maybe 10 strikeouts every nine innings, but only pitches five innings? Or do you prefer the pitcher who has maybe eight strikeouts for every nine innings, but pitches seven innings? Ultimately, what it'll depend on is who our pitcher is. If our pitcher goes longer, we'll prefer the strikeout number. If our pitcher goes shorter, we'll prefer, you know, the more Ks per nine innings. Because, you know, we want to, our own biases is leading us to that. Because we want to say, our pitcher is best. So why did I share this analogy? I shared this analogy to show you that stats don't lie. Because everything I said in those stats is true. It's just we take our biases, whether we know it or don't know it, and go, that's the best one. Now let's go to coronavirus. And again, I don't want to talk per se about the virus. I want to just talk to you about the numbers. There's two bad guys that I see are going to be start portrayed in the media, and it's already started in some places. One is America, shock horror. America's always the bad guy. America's always going to be the bad guy for a lot of people, but especially in the era where Donald Trump is president. Their biases, they're just waiting and hoping to find something. Or some stat that is absolutely true that they can twist and turn to make Donald Trump look bad. And the second country is Sweden. Now, a lot of people will go, well, I don't care about John. I don't care about Sweden. You should. Because Sweden is going to come under attack for something that a lot of Americans are saying right now. And that is, they kept their economy open. The media are going to start, either going to, going to flat out ignore Sweden which they've done largely to this point because the numbers don't lie. And the numbers, in many cases, are less than a lot of the big countries in Europe. And they had a total shutdown, and Sweden only did a partial one. And they will either ignore them, or it'll get to the point where they have to destroy them. One of two options is going to come. If they start destroying Sweden, it's, as, it's a response to the people who are now shouting, open America up. Because they need to make their own government's decision to keep lockdowns, to do the lockdowns and make sure they stay the right decision. And they need to destroy Sweden. So let me give you some numbers today. If you look at the number of deaths due to coronavirus, sorry, the number of cases, the chart is overwhelming. You look at it and kind of go, wow, America really is number one in coronavirus. You know, you look at the numbers, 1.1 million cases. Number two on that list is Spain, 240,000 cases. Third is Italy at 205,000. Wow, America really is America first when it comes to coronavirus. Well done, Mr. President. 
That's what you're going to start hearing. UK is fourth with 175,000 cases. France is fifth with 167,000 cases. Germany is sixth with 163,000 cases. Wow. Donald Trump really sucks, huh? Well, you see, here's the thing. You have to put it into context. These numbers must be put into context. Because if you put in the the, the total amount of cases, America has 1.1 million cases. Second, third, fourth, fifth, and sixth only have 950,000 cases. Why is America so irresponsible when it comes to coronavirus? Well, you got to put the numbers into context. Put it into context of how many people live in the country. You see, America is a country that is a lot larger than a lot of countries out there. In fact, it is so large that it has 328 million people. When you add the second country, Spain, Italy, UK, France, and Germany's populations together, you only have 313 million people. It's not like they have so many more million people. It's not apples and apples. If I may quote the great CNN, this is an apple. It's no people will tell you it's a banana, but it is really an apple. Yeah, exactly. The stats are there to back it up. It's not like America sucks so much more on coronavirus because you have nearly four or five times the cases that the second place our country has. It's that you have more people. So of course you're going to have more cases. But this is where you can flip the stats. Because the deaths also look bad. If you just look at the deaths, wow, America is really bad on on coronavirus deaths. America has 64,000 people dead. I've seen this article now starting to come out there, starting to attack Mr. Donald Trump by going, oh, you know, this is, we've just passed the number that Donald Trump said would be a good result. We just passed the 60,000 case mark. They're going to start twisting his own words against him. But again, let's put this into context because that's not the real story. Yes, America has 64,000 people dead and every one of them should be mourned. We should mourn every death. If you're pro-life on a separate issue, if you're pro-life, you should mourn every death. But America has 64,000 cases. Or sorry, deaths. Now let's look at the, because we compared it to the next, the second, the third, the fourth, the fifth, and the sixth countries when it came to cases to make America look bad. Let's compare the deaths, shall we? Spain has 24,000 dead. Italy has 28,000 dead. UK has 27,000 dead. France has 25,000 dead. And Germany has 6,500 people dead. You add all them up together, America has 64,000 people dead. The next five countries... 110,500. That seems to be quite a bit of a difference, doesn't it? In fact, if I wanted to just make this about politics and wanted to, you know, prove my agenda and my biases, you know, I'd look at it and kind of go, hmm, America? Privatized medicine, 64,000 deaths. Spain, Italy, UK, France, Germany, hmm, either fully or partially a public healthcare system and 110,000 dead. Hmm, which system works best? But here's why the numbers are absolutely critical. And this is where I want to give you some ammunition if you want to make it. If I read to you, I've read to you the stats. America, 1.1 million cases. 64,000 dead. All tragic. But if I read to you the stats of, let's say, Ireland, shall we? 20,612 cases. 1,232 dead. If you compare that to America, which, you know, what's your gut reaction? Does your gut reaction say, well, Ireland's clearly doing something America is not, right? America is doing something wrong. You know, Ireland clearly has America beat, right? If you go by those numbers, absolutely true. 
But again, if you actually put them into context, you would be dead wrong. Because let me give you the stats. It's easy just to look at the total number of cases when taking them out of context. But put them into context. America has, for every million people, has 3,308 cases. Ireland, 4,174. Hmm. One of these things don't seem to belong here, right? One of those numbers is bigger than the other. And it ain't America. Oh, oh my God. Could it be America is better at something than other countries? This doesn't fit our narrative because America sucks. But then moving on to the deaths. America has 193 people dead for every million cases. Ireland? Well, Ireland has to be better, right? Because the Irish number was smaller, right? No, it's actually bigger. Ireland has 250 dead for every million people. Now, again, I'm not here to say any death is acceptable. I'm here to show you the pure numbers. Numbers never lie. What lies and what has an agenda is us and our biases. The case right now, and I make this time, I've said this from day one from behind this show, Never ever believe what I say. Question everything. You need to start questioning everyone you listen to. Because everyone has an agenda right now. And you need to start doing your more own homework now more than ever. And I include myself in this. The time is always to look, at, look after yourself and do your own homework. But especially right now. Because what you're starting to see is people's biases are coming out. And they always have an agenda. You need to question everyone you listen to. Question your friends, question your family, and do your own homework. As always, I'm on social media. I'm on Twitter at Freedom Disciple, on Facebook, America's Favorite Irishman, or Jonathan Dunn. Look me up. Send me a friend request. Send me a follow. Love engaging with you guys. There's been a few new listeners over the last couple of weeks who've messaged me. So welcome to the show, and hopefully you're enjoying it. And the big thing about the show is I'm not here to tell you what to think. I'm here to give you ammunition to help you find what you think for yourself. What do you agree with me, or what do you disagree with me? Now, I want to give you another analogy about baseball. So... I want you to imagine there's a runner on first and you're pitching. And he hits a ground ball, the batter hits a ground ball, and it goes to shortstop. And the shortstop throws to second base, and the runner who was on first is clearly out. But it's not a smooth transfer from his glove to his hand to throw to first base, and the throw is late. Now, in most people's eyes, if that wasn't a double play ball, you would have an error on the shortstop. Or if it was a bad reception, you'd have an error on the first baseman. When it comes to a double play, you don't have an error. And the simple reason is, is can you, you cannot assume the double play. It's not a clear-cut play. You cannot assume it. The reason for this is because different things, different times, different situations, different players handle things differently. Not every situation is the same. The reason I use this analogy, and it's not the best one I will admit, But it's to show you that you can't always assume certain things happening. You're going to start seeing, I believe, an assault on Sweden. And I'm going to share the numbers with you why. But the reason is because they actually didn't do anywhere near the draconian shutdown that America has done, that Ireland did, that Europe did, that other countries have done. They have largely left a lot of their country open. And for up until now, they've largely been ignored. But because the numbers don't lie, 
a lot of people are going to start going, why are we not following Sweden's example? It's the only time in my lifetime I've ever went, you know, I wish Bernie Sanders was still running going to go, hey, we should follow the Norway countries because I'd actually agree with him. It's the one time I'd agree with Bernie Sanders on following Norwegian-style countries, but only Sweden, not Norway or Denmark, or not Norway or Finland. And I want to show you the stats. Sweden has 21,000 cases of coronavirus and has 2,500 deaths. You're going to start seeing them because we have to have our biases and we have to make Sweden look bad. You're going to start seeing them compared to Finland, to Norway, where you'll see... Finland only has 5,000 cases and 211 dead. And Norway has 7,500 and 1,500 dead, give or take. Well, there's so much less. Oh my God, the Swedish government hates its own people. If only they had done those lockdowns, a lot of less people would be dead. A lot more or less cases. But that's only to fit your narrative. When you, Let's put Sweden against other countries. Why put them against just those countries? Why put them against Finland and Norway? The reason that you don't always put countries beside each other is because every country is different. Every country has a different demographic. Every country has different densities in its cities. Not every city is like New York. Not every city is like Dublin. Not every city is like Oslo. You have different densities. You have different amounts of population. You have different amounts of people who are tourists or students. Not every city is the same. I know this is going to shock a lot of people. What do you mean, John? Not every city is the same. Yes, every city is different. You look at a city like Manchester. There's like 16 million people. You look at a city like Ireland. Ireland has a, as a country has 5 million people. There's a total different number of people in the cities. The reason Manchester has a large population is because it's heavily student-based. So you're going to have people of different ages, of different backgrounds, of different healths. So you can't always compare apples to apples. You can't. It's not fair to compare Sweden to Finland and Norway. If you have a bias and want to make Sweden look really bad, then of course you're going to do that because the numbers are really different. But why? Let's put the case of Sweden against Spain. Sweden has 2,088 cases for every million people. Let's put the numbers into context. Let's not look at the full numbers. Sweden has 2,088 cases for every million people. Spain has 5,125 for every million. Italy, 3,400 for every million people. The UK, 2,523. France, 2,561. And Germany, 1,946. Sweden seems to be pretty much in line with all those countries. In fact, it's better than every other country bar Germany. So why attack Sweden? Oh, well, well, you see, we got to compare them to Norway and Finland. Okay, let's compare them to Norway and Finland. But let's also compare them to Spain, Italy, UK, France, and Germany. They're the big countries. Why do, why do those big countries get a pass? And if those lockdowns are so good, why are they so, why are they in line when it comes to amount of cases per every million people? Even if you look at the deaths. Oh, well, John, you see the cases, they, they may have got lucky with the coronavirus cases and maybe their testing isn't quite up to date, but their deaths are in line, right? Okay, well, let's look at the deaths. Let's look at all the figures. Sweden has, for every million people, has 256 deaths due to coronavirus. Let's look at the big countries. Spain, 525. Italy, 463. The UK, 394. France, 373. 
Well, 256. Now, I'm no mathematician. I know I love numbers, but gee, 256 is considerably a lot less than all of those countries. The only country that beats it, and it's beaten every country, and I don't know how. Maybe it's just they are, maybe they are the Aryan race. Maybe they're just better than everyone else. And I say that as a joke for anyone who hates me, who's listening, going, oh my God, I knew John was a Nazi. Oh my God, he released himself. He showed, he revealed himself live on air. No, I'm just making a joke. They have 79 people dead for every million. There's something going on in Germany. Maybe it's the air. Maybe, I don't know. Maybe the hills are alive with the sound of music. Actually, they're not because, you know, the hills are closed because of quarantine. And yes, I know it wasn't Germany. I don't need the, the sound of music, people. I'm making trying to make a joke that's not 100% accurate. Sue me. But the 256 dead for every million cases in Sweden is a lot less than all those other countries. Why do we not make a full picture? But you see, the problem is, is we got to attack countries. We got to fit our own biases. We got to fit our own narratives. You know, one of the things that doesn't ever come into this equation, one of the frustrating things for someone like me is we never have full conversations anymore. We never have a conversation of, well, how many people are going to die because of this quarantine of, because they're not, they have cancer and it's undiagnosed because they can't get to a hospital. How many people are going to die because of suicide because being locked up in their own house is not a good environment for them. How many people are going to go through trauma and maybe suicide because they're in an abusive relationship and been stuck in their house is not a good thing? How many people are going to die because of starvation? We never get to put these numbers into the full picture. We all want to basically get our own narrative and say, hey, what numbers can I do to justify my opinion? You're going to see America, if you haven't already seen it by the time you listen to this show, and Sweden, I believe, come under massive, massive attack. And why? Because one, has Donald Trump as president, and two, Sweden dared. And in a world where you have a globalist agenda, and where you have one world government, and where you always have to have consensus think, Sweden, and I say good on Sweden, has dared to challenge the popular narrative of, maybe there isn't, there, maybe there is more one ways to skin a cat. Maybe we'll chart our own course. You know, that's, that's, I think that's our right as a country. Let's chart our own path. And maybe we'll end up in worse. And maybe we'll end up in better. But how about we have that individual right as a country? Do we believe in states' rights? Or do we believe in, well, let's just, whatever they do, we do. And whatever the popular consensus is, well, we must follow along. new show is released every Saturday at 12 noon Eastern. If you're a new listener, welcome. Please subscribe on your favorite platform by looking for Freedom's Disciple. If you happen to listen on Apple, please leave us a rating and review. Apple actually have brought the review system back, so thank you so much for um, everyone who leaves a rating and review. Even if you don't listen on Apple, I would ask you and encourage you to please rate us and, and leave a review. The, of course, the appropriate rating is obviously uh, five stars. <laughs> Why would you do anything less? Even just for that accent, which is so nailed. I nail that accent every time. I sound like a Frenchman. Please tell me you've never heard what a Frenchman actually speaks like. But leave a rating, five star, leave it whatever you feel is best, leave a comment. Um, it helps everyone, new people find the show. It helps the, the algorithm for Apple. 
Now, I've spoken for all of this show mainly to my friends on the left. Now I want to speak to my friends on the right. Numbers don't lie. I believe, if you believe in freedom, and especially if you are listening in America, which the vast majority of this audience is, I believe the argument for freedom and for opening the economy is based around what we spoke about last week, federalism, but also about the Constitution. I believe those are strong enough arguments. I believe the idea of individual liberty is a strong enough argument to to make the case for hey let us let you know let, let's open up the economy. But there is no reason to take numbers out of context. I've seen this meme go around that you know the survival rate of coronavirus is ninety nine point five percent point four percent you know all these different things. I want to talk to you about numbers. And again, one of the things I'd ask you is I'm going to give you these numbers because a lot of you have not heard these numbers before. Unless you have listened to certain people who are actually responsible with their numbers. But one of the things I would ask you to do is bear in mind the baseball analogy I gave up. Just because the pitcher goes out in the first inning and gives up a home run and gave up one run does not mean their ERA is nine. It can change. People are going around talking about the debt rate. They're talking about the survival rate. What are the chances of survival? Well, I want to give you the stats. I don't want to give you the raw numbers. And one of the things that before, when you hear them, you might go, oh my God, I can't believe you're lying, John. I'm going to ask you to bear in mind, I'm putting these into context. And I'm going to say this right from the get-go. These numbers will change. And the numbers are changing as we speak. And they are becoming more favorable to life. The death rate of coronavirus in the world is not 1%. It's not 2%. It's not 0.5%. The statistical numbers, if you use raw data, says the death rate is 18%. What? I've never heard saying 18%. Yes, the death rate of coronavirus right now, the 2nd of May, is 18%. The good news is that is down from a peak of 21%, which it was a couple of weeks ago. So there's major improvements coming on this. Now, I'm going to ask you to bear with me. Where did I get that number from? Because a lot of people, what they are doing is they're assuming the pitcher gave up a run in the first and assuming he's not he's going to put up donuts for the rest of the game. They're assuming lots of zeros and that they're making the case of what the number will be. And it may be 1%. It may be 0.5% when it's all said and done. But we still got to pitch those innings. We still got to put up those zeros. The only way you can accurately count the death rate is not by lumping everyone who has coronavirus together and saying how many de- are dead and then basically making a division and coming up with a percent. No, when you believe in data and number and science, the way you get a death rate of something is looking at the total amount of closed cases. There is 1.25 million cases around the world closed. One million of those cases are cures. They are 100%, they're healthy, they're back to normal. And there's 234,000 people dead from this coronavirus. When you do that number, it comes out at about 18%. That is of the closed cases. Now there again, just let me just show you the narrative of the media. You, how many times have you heard in the media, oh my God, there's, there's 234,000 cases dead. How many times do you hear all this stuff? Oh my God, America has 60,000 people dead. 
How many times have you heard the time, this stat? There are one million people who have coronavirus who are cured. See, that doesn't quite fit the leftist media's narrative, does it? That doesn't fit the narrative of, oh my God, we're all going to die. Again, for those people who want to hate me and hate what I'm about to say, I'm anybody who dies, I mourn. Young, old, healthy, unhealthy. If you die, I, I, feel, I feel your pain. It's not something I ever want anyone to go through, but it's a fact of life. But no one ever talks about the one million people of who have got this and who are healthy now. Because it doesn't fit the narrative of the media of panic. What you have in a situation is you have two million cases which are open of people who have it. You have 1.595 million people who have coronavirus. They have that two million who are mild cases. And the chances and the odds in their, in their favor are very good of survival. And you have 50,000 cases which are serious. Even, let's just assume for a second, that everyone who is mild right now will survive. It's a dangerous assumption. And everyone who is serious dies. If, let's say, you closed every case, your death rate is then 9%. But that isn't even an accurate figure to say, well, what, do you mean 9%? Because it might be totally different. Because more data is coming out. You're starting to see governments around the world saying, actually, you know what? I think this virus has been around a bit longer than we thought. And there was a load of people who have mild cases that said, you know what? I actually think I had it, but I, I didn't get diagnosed. Because it was only mild. I thought it was just a normal flu. Just a really bad strain of it. And I stayed home and I got rest and, and I all of a sudden got better. You're starting to see governments admit there's a lot more cases of it. Which brings the mortality rate down even more. All these mild cases that are not counted. You have a situation right now where the numbers are accurate right now. But the situation is changing. The pitcher went out for the second inning, went out for the third inning, went out for the fourth inning. But we don't know what that, how many runs that pitcher is going to give up this game. But also to understand that, to use that analogy, it's also one inning. One game. You want your starter pitching going out, what, 25, 30 starts a year? We don't know what the ERA is at the end of this. But the numbers don't lie. The numbers don't lie. Which leads me to bringing it on to another point. What counts as a coronavirus death? I've seen a lot of people make the case, and there's been a lot of articles. I saw an article, someone sent it to me last week on Red State, about, you know, how people are being, you know, they're fudging the numbers on deaths. One of the things that really upsets me about this world is we go from a crisis, a crisis, and we just have these political arguments about what's a debt and what's a, what's a survey. And then when things actually settle down, we never actually have a discussion. This question of what counts as a coronavirus death is not a new question. It's not a new question. It's been a question that's gone around for a while, and we have never actually had an honest discussion where emotions are calm and rational. We're not dealing with the emotions of a major crisis. Let me give you an example. Let's say, God forbid, and this is a really morbid example, but just to make the point. Let's say tomorrow I go into the hospital, and all of a sudden I find out I've got terminal stage 4 cancer. And the doctor sits me down and says, John, you have this cancer. And I reckon, all been well, you have two weeks to live. There is no cure. It's a 100% guarantee you're going to die. It might be 12 days, it might be 16 days, but two weeks is usually the average. You're going to die. Okay? 
Horrible diagnosis. And I walk out onto that street and I'm in total shock. I'm like, I have all these plans. I wanted to go to America. I wanted to do speaking tours. I wanted to do all this stuff. And I'm totally distraught. And I walk out and a bus hits me. What kills me? Do I die of cancer or do I die because a bus hit me? That's a question for you guys to answer. But now let me give you another example, which is a story, which is a situation that has happened regularly in your country with with crises. Same example. I walk into a hospital. I have two weeks to live. I've got stage four terminal cancer. And I go home. And I'm sitting there and I'm getting starting to get really weak and frail. And all of a sudden, this wouldn't really happen in Ireland. Let's say, imagine I lived in, you know, down south. And all of a sudden, a really bad storm comes, like happened last week in, your, in parts of, you know, Oklahoma and your parts other parts of your country. And a big storm comes. And let's say there's a, you know, really bad hurricane. You pick the storm. And I die in that storm because I'm so weak and I'm so feeble. I don't make it out of my house and don't make it to a shelter. Let's say I die just because of the storm. What kills me? What's the diagnosis? Because this happens all the time. This always happens. And a lot of times what you'll see is that style is counted as not as a cancer death, but as a death due to the storm. But if I'd lived, if I'd survived the storm, I would have died in a week or maybe two weeks, depending on when the storm hits. Or maybe I lasted three because I'm a strong and I'm a fighter. I would have died anyway. That analogy is the exact same for people with coronavirus. If you go into hospital with something else, cancer, heart attack, Alzheimer's, whatever you're in hospital for, and you get die because of coronavirus, the same exact example happens. The same way the people in the storm counts. Even though I had terminal cancer, I died because of the storm. Because I was in hospital, even though I was going to die anyway, maybe, using that morbid example. If I get coronavirus, of course I'm going to be counted as a coronavirus stat. That's the way it works. If you don't like that, then you've got to have the debate of how we count different count things differently. I, I'm open to that discussion, by the way. I, I, I wish we'd actually have these discussions where we're not all highly emotional, we're not all connected to coronavirus, where we'd actually just have principled discussions with no emotion, just based on the numbers and fact. And go, hey, that debt should be counted as coronavirus. That debt should be counted as cancer. That debt is a storm. And then at least we all have a consensus left and right. And then we can argue over the numbers if they're been fudged. But this always happens. Always happens. Whether it's storms, whether it's hurricanes, whether it's cancer, whether it's coronavirus, it doesn't change. This has always been the case. But the difference is, depending on who has power, the sides and the biases get in the way. If we want to make coronavirus look less, of course we're not going to want to count those stats. If we want to make coronavirus look a lot serious, of course we are. Anything that looks limited like coronavirus, we're going to count as a stat because we want to back up our narrative. The question right now is what do you want to believe? Do you want to base it on truth and fact, even when it doesn't go your way? Or do you want it to be based around political biases? I say this, I said this earlier in the show, but it's absolutely critical. Now's the time for you to do your own homework, more so than ever. Because everyone is having is revealing their biases, good in a good way and in a bad way. I want to finish up today's show by sharing a story you may have heard over in America, but in case you haven't, it's I think it's I think it's critical to share. 
But I want to give you some context of why I think this is an important story and why I want to salute this gentleman. There are many differences in ideologies between America and the rest of the world. In the rest of the world, historically, and even today in many parts, we base everything based on the collective. We like putting people in camps. We like, we like having cliques. We like having groups. Oh, you're white, so you're white. Oh, you're rich, you're there. You're poor, you're over there. You're from the city, you're from the country, you're different. Oh, you're gay, you're straight. We like putting people in boxes. We like basing everything on opinion of the collective. What, what do we think about a certain country? What do we think about a certain group of people? Oh, are you far gay people or straight people? You've seen this all over. Are you rich or are you poor? Are you middle class? And we all sometimes are assign other people, but sometimes because we want to belong, we, we self-identify. Well, I'm middle class. America is built not on the principle of the collective, but on the individual. The idea that the individual is sovereign. The idea that an individual can change the world. The reason this mindset is so important and it's so different and it's so unique and I believe it should be celebrated is because when you're in the collective, you automatically look to the collective to solve the world's woes. You'll look and kind of go, you know what, there is a problem. The world should do something about that. The world should fix this problem. The world should, the world should fix homelessness. The world, the, the world or the country should fix poverty. And what we, even though we don't usually use the word all the time, when we say someone else, what we're always meaning is government, the collective. We don't have this inner belief of individualism where it goes, you know what? Hey, there's a problem. I should solve it. That is the message of America, the idea that, hey, you're an individual. Go pursue your own happiness. But also understand you also have a responsibility to your fellow man to help them with what you are passionate about. That individualism is so critical to the understanding the basis of America and why, again, one of the many reasons you're unique and exceptional compared to the rest of the world. Historically, you haven't had a class system. Now, I know a lot of people use it. You, you, know, you have this identification of, oh, we're middle class, we're somehow okay. You know, we're not too successful, but we're not poor. And you get some great joy out of it. It's one of my biggest pet peeves about America because it goes against the principles that your nation was founded upon. And it's very European thinking. But I want to give you a hero. And this man, who you may or may not have heard of, his name is Thomas Moore. And he was born on April 30th, 1920. And he served in the Second World War in the Burma campaign. He also served in India. And he later became an instructor in armored warfare. So, first off, he's a hero for serving in World War II. I believe, I think it's still cool to call him the greatest generation, isn't it? Or is that gone now? Is that something we can't do anymore? But this gentleman is 99 years of age. This gentleman is English. He's now commonly known as Captain Tom. Why do I want to salute him? Do I want to salute him for his service in World War II? Sure. I'll always salute those who serve. But this gentleman has done something that can only be described as extraordinary in the UK. You see, Captain Tom has been in the health service before. He has been, he, had, he suffered younger when he had a broken hip and he also has had cancer. So he has a special love for the NHS. And he saw what was going on with the coronavirus and he decided, I'm 100 years of age this year. I'm going to set myself a challenge. 
I'm going to walk up and down my garden a hundred times. And I'm hoping I'm going to raise a thousand pounds for the NHS. Now, if you're sitting there kind of going, wow, you're a 99-year-old man. You're going to walk up and down your garden. A thousand pounds is a lot of money. That's not realistic to, to earn that. But no one ever said that. They basically, st- he started. And as one of his daughters thought, you know what, this is a nice little story. Hopefully it gets a bit of traction. We'll send it up to, you know, the local media. And you maybe get of attention. You know, how cool would it be if he raised a thousand pounds for the NHS? What a great birthday present to say on your hundredth birthday, you raised a thousand pounds for the NHS. Well, that was on April 7th. Fast forward to the start of May. That thousand pounds is kind of ridiculous as a sum to be raised for the NHS because he raised a thousand pounds really quickly and the numbers grew as it went from 1,000 to 10,000 to 100,000 to a million pounds. Except that didn't stop because as the numbers kept going up, the media wanted more and more of this story. The country in England needed a, a, a hero to rally around. And how ironic is it that it wasn't a politician, it wasn't a political party, it wasn't a president, it wasn't the Queen. It was a 99-year-old modest gentleman who served his country in World War II. As the media appearances started to rack up, also invitations started to rack up. Michael Ball, uh, they decided to do a number one single, and it went to number one in the charts. As of today, he has raised 31 million pounds 31 million pounds for the nhs there is a powerful message for everyone in this one it's a feel-good story it's a story of how one person truly can change the world i share this because i think it's a really good story and i think in today's world we need all the good news we can guess we need all the heroes we can guess to celebrate But I also share it as a reminder to you. You can change the world. You can change the world. I don't know what message you have inside you, what talent you have or what skill. And if you're sitting there kind of going, I I just don't think I can do it. Use this story as motivation. You'll Google Captain Tom Moore. You'll find a lot of stuff about him. You'll Google his story. I think you'll find a bit of encouragement in a time when encouragement is not exactly popular for the individual this is a hero this guy should be saluted but also it should be used as a message for everyone struggling right now that you know what you can change the world that if you have something you feel you need to do if you have some message you need to share or you have some talent because you have some unique idea inside your brain they think hey you know what i think this could change the world the world needs those stories please consider sharing it with the world because individualism and each and every one has a talent inside them, has a gift. We are individuals. We are not part of a collective. Each of us is unique. We may have some common goals. We may have some common beliefs. Hey, I love the constitution just like you do. Hey, I love America just like you do. Hey, I love the Yankees just like you do. We may have a lot of things in common or very few things in common. But we always have one unique thing in common, and that is we are an individual. We are unique. There is no one like us. And yes, I'll get scriptural on you. We are all created in his image. We have a purpose. Life is a mission. It's a journey. There's a lot of good times in life. There's a lot of bad times in life. 
But the, the image of life is the same for everyone. It's to find your passion. It's to find your journey. If I may quote your founders, it's to find your way to pursue your happiness and unleash the energy and individual genius of man. That is what I believe is needed right now more than ever. We can turn this world around. But we have to start understanding principles are key to it. And this story, especially for England, is critical where they believe in the collective. Boris Johnson isn't the hero. The Queen isn't even the hero. Here you have this 99-year-old, now 100-year-old man who served his country in World War II, part of the greatest generation, who is a hero. I believe that is a key message for the world to know right now. I hope you've enjoyed today's show. Hopefully the numbers have given you something to think about. Again, don't ever question, don't ever believe me, question me, question everyone you listen to. And I always we salute your police, your military, your firefighters, your nurses on the front line. Everything is, you guys are unbelievable trying to do good things, serve your country. And as always, I salute you, the great American people. Like Captain Tom Moore, that belief, America is good because Americans Sorry, America is great because Americans are good. It's not about your politics. It's not about your politicians. It's about your people. That is always the secret sauce to American greatness. Until next Saturday at 12 noon Eastern, you all have a beautiful and blessed week. God bless. Freedom versus freebies. This is Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn. On the Blaze Radio Network.